You're listening to the Bowman of the Yard podcast. Exhibit C. Hello, hello, hello. Go blimey, Mr. James. Hello there. It's a real pea super outside, isn't it, mate? It certainly is. <laughs> no, well, here we are. It's the 1st of March. Spring is in the air, but it's still quite chilly. So here we are yet again in our favourite uh, leather wing-backed chairs by the fire at the Silver Cross. We are in our lovely, lovely comfy surroundings with the fire blazing away. Beautiful, isn't it? Uh, and you are? Peter Crouch. Of course you are. I'm Richard James, uh, writer of the Bowman of the Yard series, and you are joining us yet again, and thank you for doing so, for the Bowman of the Yard podcast, Exhibit C. Uh, it's the third one so far. I think we're doing all right, aren't we, Peter? Not bad, C. Yeah, getting out, you know, getting as far as C is, is an achievement. It's more than any of us hope for, really, isn't it? <laughs> I did. Uh, I managed to scribble down, as you can see, uh, on that beer mat there, Peter, the, the agenda for the podcast today. Uh, are you able to just read my writing and tell us what's coming up? Yes, we have news, letters to the yard. Uh, we have Hayden Gribble in our, is one of our authors in the cell at Bow Street. And very exciting, stay tuned for the third part of the Smithfield murder. Oh yeah, that's right. That's uh, uh, me narrating uh, one of my short stories from Bowman's casebook, The Smithfield Murder. We'll be talking a bit about that uh, later on. Yes, Hayden Gribble is joining us. I've locked him in the cells. He'll be telling us all about his books a little later on. Um, So uh, do stay tuned for our author in the cells at Bow Street. Uh, But in the meantime, let's sit back and make ourselves comfy. And shall we have a little bit of news, Peter? I think we should. Extra, extra, read all about it! Well, I suppose uh, the big news is that the Camden Kidnappings is now out. This is the latest short story from Bowman's Casebook. Uh, As you know, Peter, uh, there are two short stories between each of the novels, and the Camden Kidnappings is the fifth short story, the first one to be set immediately after the catastrophic events of the last novel, The Body in the Trees. So, at home, have you read it yet? What do you think? And are you one of the names featured in the short story? Peter, do you remember our little uh, competition from from the last podcast? Well, that's right. You had to like the post, and if you did, you had or in a chance of getting your name in the book. Exactly. So that was over on our Facebook page, uh, and actually, I ended up putting five readers' names into the story. Like, for example, Roy Beaufoy, who tweeted, "I downloaded this latest story to my iPad this morning. Got home from work a while ago and started reading. Lo and behold, I reach page 24, and the headmistress of the school is a Beaufoy. Sir, you are a star indeed. Thank you very much for this honour, which is a very nice thing, isn't it? How lovely." Yes, so Roy was very pleased. Now, I appreciate there are lots of stories now. We've got three novels out, five short stories. It's very easy to get confused where they all fit. So I've actually compiled a rather handy timeline so you can see uh, exactly in which order all the novels and short stories take place. Uh, Very easy to go to uh, bowmanoftheyard.co.uk forward slash timeline and see it there. Now, it doesn't really matter what order you read them in, of course, but if you want to, uh, you know, keep up to date and maybe even read each novel or short story in the actual month Uh, in which it's set. So, for example, we're just about in March now, uh, so you should be reading The Workhouse Poisoning. Well, funnily enough, I am reading that right now. Excellent, very good. Uh, Second bit of news, well, the January sale, which rumbled on uh, for UK Kindle readers uh, to get all three of those novels as e-books for uh, just under £10, is finally over. Uh, But there's a little bit of news. If you're a US Kindle reader, you can now get all three novels... 
uh, as ebooks for your Kindles for just, uh, I think it's $9.97. So less than $10 will get you the first three novels. Also, now, Peter, we know, don't we, that uh, at the end of each podcast, I'm tagging on uh, a little segment, a little section of the Smithfield murder for people to listen to. Uh, that's now available in something I'm calling Bite Size Bowman, which is also available via Apple uh, Podcasts and Spotify and wherever you listen to your podcasts. But you'll need to subscribe to us. Subscribe to the Bowman of the Yard podcast and every couple of weeks that latest instalment from the Smithfield murder will be released uh, straight to you as a little bite-sized section, uh, sort of independent of the podcast. So you can either hang on and listen to us at the end, uh, or if you've got other stuff to do, uh, wait a week or so and it'll pop up and you can listen to it as a little nugget or morsel of Bowman goodness. How does that sound? Sounds wonderful. Yeah. Uh, And finally, now, here's a little bit of news, I suppose, about the next short story. So, as I said before, there are two short stories between each novel. So, before we get to the fourth novel, which is coming later in the autumn, well, I need to get get working on the latest short story. It's going to be from Hick's casebook, because, of course, we know, don't we, that Inspector Bowman is still rather indisposed. Um, It's going to be called The Chiswick Robbery. And uh, as part of my research, I was looking into the trams that used to run along um, Chiswick High Road. Now, that's a part of London that you and I know fairly well, isn't it, Peter? Absolutely, yes. But I didn't realise there were trams there back in the day. No, well, they used to be. So uh, I did a little bit of research. Apparently it says here that the, uh, the first generation of trams in London started in 1860 when a horse tramway began operating along Victoria Street in Westminster. The first line was operated by a somewhat eccentric American, George Francis Train strangely enough. Uh, Initially, there was strong opposition, as although it was popular with its passengers, the first designs had rails that stood proud of the road surface and so created an obstruction for other traffic. And this all came to a head in 1861 when Train was arrested for breaking and injuring the Uxbridge Road and his plans were put on hold. Now, this guy, uh, George Francis Train, sounded so interesting, I did a little bit of digging around. Turns out he was an American entrepreneur born in 1829. He had an intimate connection with the construction of railroads in the States and he even ran for president in 1872. And in the middle of his campaign for president, he decided to make a trip around the globe, which was covered by many newspapers. Now, the actual journey took 80 days, although he stayed for two months uh, in France. And so it's thought his exploits possibly inspired the Jules Verne novel Around the World in 80 Days. And it's believed that uh, Phileas Fogg, of course, wow. was, was based on uh, on George Train. Now, as he aged, apparently he became quite eccentric and his presidential campaign having failed, he stood for the position of dictator of the United States. Uh, and he charged <laughs> admission fees to his campaign rallies and he drew record crowds. He became a vegetarian and he adopted various fads, such as instead of shaking hands with other people, he shook hands with himself. Uh, and sadly, he spent his final days on park benches in New York's uh, Madison Square Park, handing out dimes and refusing to speak to anyone but children and animals, and eventually died of smallpox in 1904. What an interesting man he sounds, doesn't he? Well, I, I can't believe we haven't heard of him before, or you know, there's not been a, a movie about him or something. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I had the thought, well, if I put a character like that in one of my books, you'd never believe it, would you? You wouldn't. No. You'd say, oh, far too over the top. Not believable at all. Yeah, but there is something about those times that seem to breed much more colourful characters. I mean, that's the joy of writing in the Victorian period. It does lend itself to these larger-than-life characters that don't seem to exist, perhaps, 
so much anymore. I wonder if it's it's the reporting of them. Maybe the, the you know method with with newspapers, books. Maybe they were they were more prevalent. Maybe that word got around more. Yeah, and suppose uh, without things like uh, social media and perhaps you know TV, obviously. Uh, in order to get your ideas out, you had to be something of a colourful character to be larger than life and, and colourful and make your mark. Yeah, absolutely. That's all for the news this month. Uh, you're listening to the Bowman of the Yard podcast. Now, just a word, if you are enjoying the podcast so far, uh, do please subscribe to us on whichever platform you're listening to us on, then you'll be certain that you don't miss a single one or the bite-sized Bowmans that will be coming out every couple of weeks as well, those little bite-sized chunks of the Smithfield murder. Um, And please do leave us a review. But the greatest thing you can do is share us with your friends uh, and that way they get to hear us too, which would be a lovely thing. Uh, So that's it for the news. Uh, Now let's see if we've had any... Letters to the Yard! Well, thank you to everyone who's got in touch via podcast at bowmanoftheyard.co.uk or posted on the Facebook page. That's facebook.com forward slash bowmanoftheyard. Now, uh, what do you have there in the sack, Peter? In the sack, I have a letter from Rob Doyle. And he says, Hi both, looking forward to the podcast. I'm halfway through the latest book and really enjoying it. Moving it out of London is a great move, adds a new layer to the characters as they deal with an environment out of their comfort zone. A few questions. Will you do a paperback version of the short stories at some point? Also, when will the audio versions be released? When I finish my podcast, I enjoy listening to audiobooks on my drive to work and back. I'd love to listen to Bowman's Adventures. I'm sure your thespian skills will make them something special, Richard. <laughs> my thespian skills. I mean, they haven't come in very useful so far, let's be honest. Uh, yeah, that's great. Thanks, Rob. Uh, now, these are the two questions I get asked a lot, really. Uh, will the short stories ever be released in a paperback version? And will there ever be audio versions of the novels? Right, well, let's deal with both of those. Will the paperback versions of the novel, uh, short stories ever be released? Yes, they will. I have decided uh, over the last few days there's been quite a call for it. I, in fact, put a post about it on the Facebook page and lots of people suggested that they might be interested in buying them as physical paperback collections. So, um, they will always be free um, to be downloaded by subscribers. So, if you go to bowmanoftheyard.co.uk and subscribe to my newsletter. Uh, you will then be sent links to all of the uh, Bowman's Casebook short stories, which you can then download for free. That will never change. And as each one is uh, published, so you will get a link to that too. However, I appreciate, Peter, that we like to see things on shelves, don't we? Oh, we do, yes. There's no better furniture than books. No, absolutely right. And I can quite see that people who are collecting the, the physical copies, the paperbacks, would love to see the short stories up on their shelves as well. So they have the complete collection in front of them. So uh, do keep an eye out on the Facebook page, and uh, we'll be talking about this in the next podcast as well. But sometime in the middle of March, uh, the first volume of uh, the short stories, that'll be the first four stories, will be released as a paperback and will be available uh, via Amazon. Keep your eyes peeled for that. Secondly, audiobooks. Yes, Rob, I know, I know, uh, but I've got a lot of writing to do for now. Uh, My plan, as I think I've said before, is to uh, write all four books in this current series. Uh, So that'll be the full year's worth of stories from uh, the uh, Bowman of the Yard investigations. Once I've got all four written, uh, I'll book a studio somewhere for a week or two and just plough through all four novels, get them all recorded and get them out uh, as audiobooks for you. Because I know lots of people love listening to stuff in their car or when they're at work or what have you. So absolutely, Rob, keep your ears peeled. I have uh, a letter here. Uh, This is from uh, 
Peter Lippmann. Now, this is uh, becoming something of a tradition that our second question is from Peter Lippmann, just as it was last time. Let's see how long it continues. Uh, Peter says, now, here's a question. In this age of prequels, take the Star Trek franchise as an example, although that's a totally different genre, do you ever envisage yourself writing a Bowman story describing his childhood and the environment in which he grew up? Or at the other end of the spectrum, years hence, where he might find himself as the Victorian age in which he lives comes to an end. Well, that's rather nice, isn't it? That's sort of turning the whole thing into a bit of a saga. It'd be quite interesting to see a character's whole life in a series of books from his early days to his final days. I don't think, has that ever been done before? Um, I'm sure it must have been done somewhere, but I, I think it, you know, it would really be interesting to see what changes there have been. Yeah. You know, and, what, and what maybe has influenced uh, the way that he is. Or... Mm-hmm. Um, we certainly see Sherlock Holmes as, a, as an old man looking back, don't we, in his later, is it his last bow, I think, one of his last uh, short stories that Conan Doyle wrote? Yes, that's true. So I suppose there we get his whole career from the moment he meets Watson until, I suppose, almost the very end. Um, but, Peter, to your uh, point specifically, yes, after this uh, first four, um, I'm actually going to flash forward ten years uh, with the same characters, uh, and we'll see how Bowman finds himself uh, policing Edwardian London. So that'll be in 1902. So uh, Queen Victoria will just have died. Um, so obviously that will affect the country to some degree, some great degree, I would think. Um, so it'll be interesting to see um, how, how that um, comes across. And then, uh, rather like uh, George Lucas of Star Wars fame, my plan is to then flash back and do some prequels set 10 years before this series that I'm writing now. So that'll be 1882. So we will see Bowman as a younger man and um, some other characters too. I mean, what's to stop me writing, you know, a novel set in any particular time? If we were to flash forward from 1902, of course, we'd then be in 1912. Bowman would only be, I think, 57. So um, still active, still healthy. Uh, 1912 sees the sinking of the Titanic. That would be interesting to, to explore that period. So absolutely, Peter, there's nothing to stop me diving in at any point, really, in Bowman's life and, and writing a novel or two. So we'll see how it goes. Bowman the Phantom Menace. I'm looking forward uh, to that one. <laughs> yeah, mm, don't hold out your hopes. Uh, and you have another one there, Peter, I think. Yes, I've got a, a note from Anthony. He says, hi, Richard and Peter. The podcast makes for an enjoyable drive to work. I didn't purchase Queen Victoria's knickers at auction, but I did win Inspector Crouch's truss, which he (laughs) wore for his hernia. I use it to suspend my tomato pot planter, so you could say I have authentic truss tomatoes. See what I did there? (laughs) Thanks for that, Anthony. To see what he did there, you've got to know what truss tomatoes means. Have you got any idea, Peter? Do you have green fingers? I don't have green fingers, no. No. Well, you see, uh, I thought I'd have a look. The truss on tomato plants is a group or cluster of smaller stems where flowers and fruit develop. Ah, very well done, Anthony. Now, you can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Just hashtag us Bowman of the Yard, or you can tag me, Richard N. James. And UrbanSpaceman64 tweeted, What is the piece of East End public house piano music? music played in the background thanks in advance well yeah we can hear that now peter can't we we can yeah very good it's that guy in the corner there you see with the sort of cloth cap and the the waistcoat and the open neck collarless shirt over there oh yeah he's waving at us now it's very clever he's managing to wave at us and continue playing at the same time He's got very big hands. Yeah, he has. Now, that uh, that piece of music is actually called Amazing Plan by Kevin MacLeod. It's a piece of free music. You can find it on YouTube, so just search for Amazing Plan. Uh, and finally, this is uh, from Barry, who recently subscribed to my newsletter and is, is enjoying his first short stories. He says, Good day, Richard. I hope this finds you doing well. Thanks so much for the Bowman's Casebook short stories. I just finished The Smithfield Murder, and I'm hooked. Uh, great time period, and I really enjoy Inspector Bowman. Looking forward to reading more of the Bowman of the Yard series. 
So I'd say job done. What do you think? Absolutely. Well done. Do remember you can send in your questions and comments via email to podcast at bowmanoftheyard.co.uk or head on over to Facebook and like my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash bowmanoftheyard. Uh, now, Peter, this time we've added listeners in Canada, Ireland, France, Germany and New Zealand. We are international. <laughs> Truly global. Uh, so don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and do leave a review like Dave Overall uh, on Apple Podcasts who says, an interesting and amusing podcast presented by Richard James and Peter Crouch, which greatly complements Richard's series of Inspector Bowman Victorian detective novels. Well, isn't that nice? Thank you very much, Dave. Yeah, thanks, Dave. We look forward to reading your letters next time, but uh, before we head over to the cells at Bow Street to see who we've got incarcerated this month, let's have a word from our sponsors. Allen's Antifat, the great remedy for corpulence. Allen's Antifat is composed of purely vegetable ingredients and is perfectly harmless. It acts upon the food in the stomach, preventing its being converted into fat. Taken in accordance with directions, it will reduce a fat person from 2 to 5 pounds per week. Corpulence is not only a disease itself, but the harbinger of others. So wrote Hippocrates 2,000 years ago, and what was true then is nonetheless true today. Before using the antifat, make a careful note of your weight, and after one week's treatment, note the improvement, not only in diminution of weight, but in the improved appearance and vigorous and healthy feeling it imparts to the patient. Allen's Antifat from Botanical Medicine Co. Morton & Morton Ornamental Hair Artists Featherweight Fringes for Cycling these exceedingly pretty fringes are the very latest and have become very popular and fashionable. They are made of the best natural curled hair and every fringe is made to order and only by skilled hands. They cannot be beaten for cycling in windy and rainy weather. We have received splendid testimonials from our numerous clients. The following is an extract from a letter from a lady in Glasgow. I cannot speak too highly of the splendid fringe you sent me last week. I decided to give it a trial. When on the head I found it blend so well that it was impossible to detect. The fringe is a marvel of lightness and workmanship, and, I must add, for cheapness unsurpassed. Sent to any address in the United Kingdom, secretly and securely packed on receipt of postal order. The readiest road to health is by means of physical exercise, and the easiest and readiest mode of exercise is by using Vigor's Horse Action Saddle, as personally ordered by HRH the Princess of Wales which not only provides, as Dr George Fleming CB writes, a perfect substitute for the live horse, but acts so beneficially upon the system as to be of almost priceless value. It promotes good spirits, quickens the circulation, stimulates the liver, reduces corpulence, creates appetite, aids digestion, and makes life brighter and healthier. Side saddles for ladies. They were all very well, of course, but uh, not a patch really on, uh, on last month's cigarettes advert did you hear that one i did cigarettes that cure asthma They're particularly good for women and children yes interesting uh, advertising standards back in those days these things were considered almost medicinal weren't they cigarettes and soldiers i believe were sent uh, rations of opium to the front during the boer war and various wars around that time and might we see any of that creeping into bowman of the yard yeah i haven't touched on that yet have i well maybe in the next novel yeah i shall make a note of that now it's high time i think that we headed to the cells at bow street to see who's there this month you're nicked Hello there, it's Hayden Gribble. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me onto the show. Um, although, locking me up in a cell, it's not really the best way to treat your guests, is it? Anyway, who am I to argue? 
So, you want to know a little bit about my books? Well, I've written six books to date. Uh, the first one, back in 2014, uh, was The Man in the Corner, and that was all about a agent uh, working for the Secret Service in the 1960s called The Unknown Man, so very mysterious indeed, and he has a yearning to uh, get back to his old life, but to do that, he has to bring down the biggest crime syndicate in the country. And then I released a, a charity poetry anthology called Tales from Another Me. Proceeds are donated uh, to Mind UK with the front cover which was inspired by a Rolling Stones album. I suppose the biggest success I've had so far uh, was my third book, uh, which was Child Out of Time, Growing Up with Doctor Who in the Wilderness Years, which was a memoir of being a fan of uh, everyone's favourite Time Lord back in the 1990s when the show wasn't on and growing up uh, without the Doctor to call my own. Uh, the front cover uh, is a beautiful illustration by Paul Mars, who some of you might know as Doctor Who novelist, and the foreword was written by none other than Andrew Smith, uh, who wrote the Tom Baker story Full Circle. I've also written two parts to my Captain Random adventure series, uh, Captain Random vs. the Sandman and Captain Random and the Eater of Souls. Uh, these are two books in a uh, young adult science fiction series. I'm currently writing the third one, uh, which will be called Captain Random and the Rainbow Chasers. In August this year, I have got my very first horror novella coming out, and uh, that is called The Lurking. And The Lurking is based on a bit of a ghost story that I was told by my father. But uh, it's about a, a man who is having a terrible night, and then it gets worse after he has uh, a bit of a car accident. He takes shelter in an old abandoned aircraft hangar, and he realises that he is not alone. And all these books are available from the likes of Foils, Waterstones, Barnes & Noble in America, Booktopia uh, in Australia, and I work with a very uh, creative team of freelancers and uh, some brilliant artworkers too. So all that remains uh, is for me to thank Anthony Morin, or Weird Bean as he's called online, for his fantastic artwork for the Captain Random series. If you'd like to find out more about me, you can follow me at Gribbler12, that's G-R-I-B-B-L-A-12 on Twitter. Or you can follow me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Hayden Gribble author. Or you can find me at my website, haydengribble.net. Uh, it's quite nice in here. Thank you for the ensuite bucket. Uh, although it would be nice to have my laptop to hand so that maybe I could finish off my next book while I'm in here. Well, thank you, Hayden. So there's Hayden Gribble. Uh, now, he's written, as I said before, for a number of publications uh, like the Celestial Toy Room for the Doctor Appreciation Society and B-Side Magazine. Uh, but do be sure to check out all his books at haydengribble.net and maybe even give him a follow on Twitter. And join us next month to see which author we have in the cells at Bow Street next time. Now, Richard, I've got a, a little section here. I've decided to call it Peter Ponders. <laughs> it might not necessarily feature every exhibit, but uh, it's just something which maybe one of the books or short stories has, has, uh, has prompted me to think about or ponder. Uh, so this week, I'm having a think about cartography. 
I remember I used to have this Sherlock Holmes album. It was a soft cover book that Granada released as a, a companion to the program, and also uh, I think it was released at the centenary, so probably 1987, uh, Sherlock Holmes centenary. And in the inside the cover, there's this beautiful map of London, yeah, and it had some of the key streets and locations of, of Sherlock Holmes stories marked on there. And that got me thinking about um, the Bowman stories and how you know the, the map on the wall. Uh, how that becomes such a almost a character in its own right and you've, you've got a lovely description i won't read it out but it's in uh body in the trees it's uh i think it's on page 26 27 so i'll let readers have a look out for that it's a little bit where you, you're talking about bowman's map mm -hmm. and you're talking about how it's uh it, it was almost a useful tool but now it's become something of a tyranny for him i was i was struck by how much i like to sort of look at the map uh, when I'm thinking of London, follow those streets, have a quick look at maybe what they used to look like if I can find any pictures or old maps. Obviously, there's the Charles Booth poverty maps. Oh, uh, yes. Which are, are very useful to, they're beautifully drawn, aren't they? Be beautifully laid out. And, uh, and I also noticed actually on, on a Charles Booth website that um, they also have police notebooks. Um, which are when the inspector's looking around at the, the sort of poverty situation, uh, around London, they would go with officers on the beat, and you can see. I think they've got uh, forty-one digital uh, books created in them. Ah, interesting. No, that it's funny you should mention that map on the wall. It really does feel like another character in the stories, doesn't it? And, and interestingly enough, in the Camden kidnappings, which is the latest short story, um, well, I don't know if I should give this away, really, but I, okay, I will. Inspector Hicks in Bowman's absence, moves into Bowman's office. And of course, the thing that he wants removed, first of all, is the map on the wall. Oh. So it is a little metaphor there, isn't it? You know, it, it's Bowman's territory. And when Hicks moves in, of course, it's a way of just completely jettisoning Bowman from the story, getting rid of the map on the wall. Time, please, gentlemen. Let's have all your glasses. Right, well, well, there we are. I think we've run out of time, Peter. Ah, oh, what a shame. Yet again, the bell has tolled. So thank you, everyone at home, for joining us for Exhibit C of the Bowman of the Art podcast. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review if you can, and rating, uh, and also share us with your friends so they get to hear us too. And um, we'll see you next time, where, Peter, we might actually be in the real Silver Cross Inn in Whitehall. You mean we're not there now? <laughs> I think it's no secret, but this is a work of subterfuge and fiction. But we are planning on being in the Silver Cross for our next podcast, so do join us. That'll be out on April the 1st. I know, I'm not joking. See you then. See you then. The Smithfield Murder. A short story from Bowman's Casebook by Richard James. Part 3. Solomon Hibbert has been found hanged among the carcasses at Smithfield Market. Detective Inspector George Bowman begins his investigations. While Graves made it his business to raise a working party from the traders about him, Bowman approached the lad on the stool. Archie Walton looked up as the inspector crouched beside him, his coattails trailing in the sawdust. He had a haunted look, thought the boy. Troubled. What will I do for work? Archie asked, plaintively. Some other of the traders will employ you, Bowman offered, absently smoothing his moustache between his fingers. 
The boy looked sadly about him. He was not liked, he said quietly, and nor am I. Who would have the keys to this stall, Archie? Only me and Mr Boothby. Hibbert trusted you with his key? The boy nodded. So I can open up. And when was the last time you saw Mr Hibbert? Yesterday at midday. He gave me a sausage for the journey home. I cooked it with the tramps under the viaduct. So he was good to you? Better than he was to his wife. Bowman's eyes flashed wide. I'll pay no heed to gossip, boy. Everyone knows it. He beat her something rotten when he was in his cups. A sudden thought occurred to the inspector as he rose. Has she been told? The boy shrugged with indifference. It was plain he neither knew nor cared. With a sigh, Bowman looked about him, wondering how best to proceed. Hicks had begun his interviews, and Graves was busy at the rail. Three burly men had reluctantly been pressed into lowering Hippert's body. By resting its weight on their shoulders, they were attempting to lift it off its hook and onto the floor. Bowman let his eyes wander to the ground. Absent-mindedly wiping his coat-tails free of sawdust, a sudden thought occurred to him. Wait! he commanded. The note of authority in his voice was enough to stop the men in their tracks. Graves turned to face him, a look of inquiry in his bright blue eyes. Sir? Step back from the body, Bowman ordered, his face a mask of concentration. The three men stepped back, bemused. Inspector Bowman was circling the body, looking all around at the man's feet, legs and torso. Archie, when was this sawdust laid out? Put it out myself before I left yesterday, he said simply. I do it every day. Bowman looked his fellow detective up and down, then turned his gaze to the men he had enlisted. We all have sawdust on our clothing graves. You and I have been here a matter of minutes, and yet there is sawdust on my coat and on the hems of your trousers. You even have some in your hair. Guess everywhere, pronounced one of the men in a strong Cockney accent. Perks of the job, offered the other with a laugh. Plainly. Bowman was frowning again. And yet Mr Hibbert has not a speck upon him. The two men were silenced, the smiles frozen upon their faces. Their eyes fell upon Hibbert's body. Sergeant Graves was walking all around him now. What does it mean? Bowman had thrust his hands deep in his pockets. It means, he began, that Mr Hibbert was killed elsewhere, carried here, then hung up with his wares. Alice Hibbert had once been a beauty. Looking from her clear, sparkling eyes to her even clearer skin, Bowman could see that perhaps only a few years before she would have turned many an admiring head. Her steel-grey hair was pinned up, secured with a glittering clip in the shape of a butterfly. She was dressed conservatively in a frilled dress and sat demurely with her hands clasped at her lap. Looking about him, Bowman's gaze was drawn to an ornate clock at the mantelpiece. It was framed on a plinth of green marble, its numerals etched in a dark Arabic text. It stood proudly amongst some other trinkets, an ostentatious picture frame decorated in fine gold filigree, a representation in China of a skating couple. The panelled walls around the room were inlaid with a floral print, punctuated periodically by tasteful landscapes. A fire blazed in the grate, dispelling the morning cold with a fierce heat. If it hadn't been for the purple bruise that adorned her cheek, Mrs Hibbert would have offered the perfect picture of domestic bliss. Bowman swallowed hard and waited. 
The woman stared at him, her voice caught in her throat. Are you sure? she whispered, barely audible above the crackling of the fire. Are you sure it's him? Her voice had an Irish lilt that, even in these circumstances, Bowman found appealing. The inspector nodded. His boy found him. He had spared her the details. It was enough for her to know that Solomon Hibbert was dead. The manner of his death could follow in due course. Her hands were shaking now, and she lifted them to her face. Her eyes creased in an effort to contain her feelings, and Bowman found himself wincing in anticipation. And then she did the last thing he had expected. She laughed. Rocking back in her chair, it was as if some great relief had come to her. Mrs. Hibbert, he began, confused, I'm not certain you understand the implications. So the bastard is dead. Well, he had it coming. She took a breath and sighed. You must forgive me, Inspector, but if anyone deserved a drubbing, it was Solomon Hibbert. Bowman turned his hat in his hands. He had heard stories of such women from his own wife, Anna. She had taken work with the Salvation Army in Hanbury Street, and would often talk of the cases that presented themselves. Women who were beaten by their husbands like dogs. Others who were thrown out of house and home with nothing to their name. Such men were often drunk, sometimes mad, and rarely punished. Marriage was considered a private affair, and many a man felt free to use his wife as he wished. Do you have a wife, Inspector Bowman? The question brought him up short. She was the first to ask since his release from the asylum, the first to ask since Anna had died. He was unsure how to answer. Did he have a wife? Bowman felt his face flush. He swallowed hard. Blinking away a memory of Anna on their wedding day, he turned to Alice Hibbert. Yes, he replied simply. It was not the response he had thought to give. Yes, I have a wife. And a fine husband I'm sure you make. Alice's eyes sought Bowman's, as if some understanding might be found there. But not all men are the same. She had risen now and walked to the mantelpiece. Warming her hands at the fire, she turned to face the inspector. My husband was a brute, she began boldly, her chin jutting forward in defiance, and I hated him. Mrs Hibbert, would you know of anyone who might want to see your husband dead? Bowman sensed the ridiculous nature of the question, even as he asked it. Alice threw back her head and laughed again, a full-throated laugh, released without care. It might be quicker to make a list of those who would want him still alive. When was the last time you were in his company, Mrs Hibbert? Alice thought. Last night, Inspector. He spent the evening asleep in that very chair until the clock struck eight. Then he sprang from the chair and ran from the house, as he does every week at that time. He does the same thing every week. He leaves the house at eight o'clock. Every Wednesday, Alice confirmed. To see a man about a dog, he would say. Her soft Irish lilt rendered the phrase all the more charming. And then, an hour later, he'd return with money in his fist. Except last night, he never returned at all. Bowman raised a quizzical eyebrow. There is a loose tile at my feet, Inspector. It conceals a hole where you may find a tin box locked with a key. It's where he kept his notes. He was never one to trust his money to a bank. May I see? Bowman leaned forward where he sat, his eyes searching the hearth for the very tile. Alice Hibbert seemed to weigh the question in her mind. I will happily show you the box and its contents, Inspector Bowman. 
but I would ask that you look away while I retrieve it. Bowman turned his back to the fire. As his eyes focused on a picture of a pastoral scene before him, he heard the scraping of brickwork at his back. The tile lifted, the widow bade him turn. She held a tin box, some twelve inches long and six deep. He was surprised to see the lid already open on its hinges. He allowed you access to the box, he inquired. I keep the key about my neck, Alice replied, holding it aloft on its chain so that he may see. I was free to take as much and as often as I saw fit. Solomon kept me well, so I wanted for little. I rarely had recourse to take his money. But did it never occur to you to leave, Inspector? she interrupted. I had the means, certainly. Such a man has a hold over a woman you would not understand. Why does a beaten dog not run? Because he is afraid, Bowman nodded in sympathy. Quite right, Inspector. Afraid of being caught. She held the box forward so that Bowman could see its contents. There were notes of practically every denomination held within. There must be a hundred pounds, he gasped. Half what a detective might expect to earn in a year. Very likely, Alice conceded, snapping the lid shut. Look about you, Inspector. I live a comfortable life. My every whim is catered for. These trinkets and baubles, she waved a hand at the ornaments on the mantel and the pictures on the wall, are merely reparations. She smiled at Bowman's questioning look. To assuage him of his guilt. The more he beat me, the better gifts he would bring. It helped him, I suppose. Bowman felt his anger rising. How could marriage be held in such low regard by some when he had been denied its gifts? He bit his lip. Where did his money come from? The inspector doubted a humble butcher could bring home such a wage. You think I would ask? Alice Hibbert's eyes scolded him. You cannot comprehend of a life with Solomon Hibbert. To ask him anything would be to risk his wrath. Bowman felt chastened under her gaze and rose to leave. I would ask you, Mrs Hibbert, to report to me anything you might think to be of use in my investigations. Investigate all you want, Inspector Bowman. Alice Hibbert was seeing him to the door now. And if you find him, bring the murderer to me that I might shake his hand. 